reading comes from James chapter 1. Familiar passages now, verses 2 through 4, and continuing in verses 12 through 18. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he, tempts, he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every gift, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by his word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of God. Good morning, Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, I said good morning. Um, I've been um, struggling this week with the rest of my family with the flu. And so um, I'm over it, but something still, you know, lingering, coughing and all that kind of stuff. So um, just bear with me this morning. Um, It's good to be here. In the land of the living, if you will. Um, So as we continue in the book of James, um, last week we saw uh, James welcome both rich and poor and everyone in between with their struggles to the gospel. James called us, if you remember, to believe that the gospel was perfect and perfecting for our socioeconomic trials and tribulations. Well, today, James continues his appeal to the perfect work of God by helping us recognize that the God presented to us in this Bible, the one who came as Jesus Christ to save the world, is the God who is perfectly good to us. And this is a crucial piece to understand and to properly embrace, not only because of the ringer James is about to put our faith through in the coming chapters, but also so you and I will be okay as we go through everyday life as those who believe or who are trying to believe And in this world, day to day, our faith is on and in the grind, right? Being tried and tested by whatever and anything. And for those of us living on the faith grind, I believe today's passage gives us hope. Hope we can hold on to and be held by. We have a God who is perfectly good to us who first rewards those who are faithful, 
Secondly, who remains faithful in our bad times. And finally, who redeems people from faithlessness. Again, he rewards those who are faithful, remains faithful in our bad times, and finally redeems people from faithlessness. Look again at verse 2 through 4 and then verse 12. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then down in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, as you can tell, if if you've been with us the last three sermons... Verses 2 through 4 just won't quit being important. I think I made this connection last week as well between the steadfastness in verse 3 with the steadfastness in verse 12 along with the testing in verse 3 with the word test in verse 12. Let me break it down. The perfectly good God to us is promising to reward those who are faithful in the test and trials of life. And though some of us may be a little uneasy with that statement, standing by itself, it's biblically clear, isn't it? Blessed is the man or woman, and crowned they will be. Sorry to go Yoda sentence structure on you, but it kind of gets you there. And according to verse 4, right? Perfect, complete, and lacking nothing they will be if they are faithful. James is saying that when life's problems, both inside and outside, hit us, we are at a crossroads, a crossroad of decisions. That we face a test. We face a trial. It's in those choice-making tests and trials where we can be faithful, Right? But we have the opportunity to be faithful, to to keep going, to, to stay on track, to believe what God says and do what God says to do, or not be faithful and not believe in God's way and make choices and decisions that are anti gospel and anti grace and anti trust and anti Jesus. James is saying for the faithful person, That's the person who is steadfast and true through the test of life that they will in the end receive the crown of life. And when you think crown of life, I I don't want you to think that trumped up Miss Universe Tierra stuff. I want you to think Greek times. When they would put a laureled, right, flowery wreath around the person's head who endured a grueling decathlon and finished. Now, I purposely emphasize the flowery wreath instead of some golden diamond bling bling crown because it is extremely important that we recognize that God rewards not only those who faithfully endure life's trials, right, who make faithful decisions when they face something or face a choice, but who faithfully love him. What's that got to do with the value of the crown? 
Look again at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast at the trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is not about the crown. This is not about the award, right? The, the, the crown itself. Or, or some kind of goods and services payout where, where you get what you are due and earning for doing and being right enough. Where you are being faithful to God in order to get a reward. God is not rewarding. The crown of life then to those who just did all the Christian things to get or deserve something from God. But who love and obey God for how he's loved them. I think about an engagement ring, right? The ring is not why folks should agree to get married for the reward of getting that rock, right? You can imagine it's nice to walk around with your hand up in the air like that. I wouldn't know because I don't walk around like that. And I don't have one of those. But, but when you get or give that ring, right, the real prize is being able to singly love and show love to that person for and in ways like you would no one else. See, in Christ, God offers and gave us the engagement ring to be his forever out of of his love for you and me to have you and me, right? So love for God that James is talking about is obedience motivated by the belief that God gave all he gave for us because he first loved us. It makes sense then, doesn't it? God rewards those who live and believe like they've accepted his love through Jesus. Faith is acting and being motivated by and believing on God's unconditional love for me and you through Jesus Christ. So, James is saying God rewards those who obey him because they love him, not because they can get what they want out of him. What James is saying is that, is that eventually life's trials and tests will reveal whether we truly love God or not. Whether we are more faithful to him than anything or any, anyone else, right? Whether we are just doing it so that we can get God's morals or, or, or can be called good people or, or just be in church relationships or kind of think we're in this Jesus pyramid scheme, right? Where if we do all the good things, all good things will happen for us. And the trials and tribulations and tests of this world will determine and will reveal your heart. And it is in those times that if our hearts and desires fail, that if we sin, that when we fall and find ourselves loving something or someone else more than God, let me tell you, faithfulness repents at those times. See, Faithful living asks for and believes God is forgiving, believing that God's love is greater than even our sin, that we get back up again by grace, by faith in Jesus, and keep going. And those who finish and move through life and its ups and downs will prove, right? Not earn, don't get it twisted, but will give proof that they are God's and the perfectly good God for us is good in turn to give his rewarding proof of faithfulness. 
And I believe James is seeking to encourage many of the believers of the day. Like we discovered last week or can figure out from this text who were poor and struggling already, right? As we saw last week or rich and struggling that there is a lasting reward for their faith. But we also recognize what you all know. When it comes to being faithful and obeying and loving God in life's tests and trials and ups and downs, the struggle is real, right? Bad times come. And in those bad times, this is what we need to know, that the Lord remains the same good God in our bad times, refusing to tempt us to sin and refusing to add to our folly. Look with me at verse 13 through 17. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. My beloved brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, let's recognize something here. That in the trials and tests and tribulations, that's the stuff that will put pressure on your belief in God. That there will be choices to be made, right choices and wrong choices. And that nothing in this world can reveal what we truly believe and why. Like suffering, hardship, fear, frustration, failure, and disappointment. I must have a little bit of Star Wars on the mind today. But for those who remember... One of those Star Wars movies, I can't remember. Remember his return, what is it, Return to the Jedi or something like that? Or, okay, anyway, when Luke Skywalker goes to that foggy place and gets trained by Yoga, Yoda, sorry. <sighs> I can imagine Yoda doing yoga, okay? And he says, Luke, be careful. Right? Because he's saying that dark side, it ain't out there. The dark side's in here. And he's trying to teach him, right? Like, hey, be careful. Because remember he goes out in the woods and has that dream where he fights Darth Vader. And when he cuts Darth Vader open, he looks in the mask and it's his face in there. And it's kind of saying, you know what? That the dark side, right? When pressure and hardship and pain come, that the dark side can take over your heart and drive your actions. That the dark side that would lead you downward to the downward spiral is not on the outside, but lives on the inside of every good and powerful Jedi. And they have to believe that and guard against that, especially in extremes, right? When hardship and pain and fear come. That is what James is describing here in large part. James must have gotten word that the church was going through persecution and suffering. And so he lets them know some things that are helpful. He tells them to hang in there. We've already been through verse 2 through 4. Hang in there because the stuff that is testing your faith and trial and belief in God, it's actually going to be good for you in the end. But also be careful because guess what he's probably hearing? 
These are new, this is a new faith, and these are a lot of new believers. And so they're saying, hey, hardships and, and temptations and tests and trials come, and when I fail, I feel so bad, and I think I'm not faithful anymore. You know who must be behind this? God himself. And so he's saying and trying to correct them. You can't, because they're blaming God for leading them to sin in those hard times, for leading them and bringing them into temptation. And when he says temptation, he is talking about the process, right? The doorway or walkway we take on the way to sinning. Look again at the process in verse 14 through 15, just in case we missed it. But each person is tempted When he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, right, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth death. This is a fishing illustration where he's saying the thing you desire is the bait on the hook. But it is only bait Because inside yourself, there is a dark side that wants what's on the hook. And once you bite that sin, and then it hooks you and drags you all over the place, away from God's truth and light and life, then you have finally landed, you're filleted, eaten, and he says, death happens. James is saying, God is not responsible For that temptation that led to sin. It is the evil desire in you and me that led us to take the bait. And no, God is not the sovereign divine fisherman. In fact, he says, God has put good things in our way and light. And we have followed our evil desires toward dark. God is good and light. And truth, verse 18 says, and verse 17 says that he does not change regardless of the situation you are in. So God cannot be tempting you to evil and be good at the same time. That would be a variation in God. And God is pure light and truth and perfection. It would mean God was sometimes good, sometimes bad. And James is saying, where are you getting this stuff? In hard times. I know. I'm human. When you're feeling lonely, hungry, Disappointed, down, ambitious to fix things, desperate, angry, and empty? Know this. A good God is and was not and will never be responsible for generating the twisted desires and plans to fix the thoughts and feelings that surface in your trials and tribulations that ultimately drive and drove you to do ungodly things. That drove you to do self-destructive, short-sighted, unloving to God things that led to an isolated, barren, and deserted spiritual life. It is you and I who have moved into and turned to and been dragged into darkness and towards what is not good and bad situations. Your God, the God of the Bible, is good to remain holy. In the light and true. (coughs) 
I am among a generation, sociocultural group of believers that are the most pouty and complaining, vice-driven, yet theologically astute, yet at the same time God-deserting and savvy. Like, we understand the faith. We've already been through all of that trick, tricky church stuff. Deserting group, I said, that God could ever love. (laughs) When we believe or feel the lie that God has let us down, man, we are quick to pout and complain and stop trusting in him, to stop being giddy and engaged about spiritual things, right? We get cynical and sarcastic about spiritual things. We are angry and disappointed all the time with God for our depressed and cold spiritual lives. We hold our faith lightly and we think it's cool to live more secular and kind of in safety safety mode from a God who we deep down believe deceived us. And led or left us in into our sin. Or who might. Many of us in here have turned over on God. Yeah, we're still in the bed with him. But we turned over because deep down we blame him for not being all that he said he would be. And when hardship hit, he was not God and not good and not good enough. And we are now cold and protective in our faith. You know what that is? Believing that God tempted you to walk away and be spiritually depressed or take hold of your vice or not be so churchy or evangelical because it was him. He must have left the door open that let all that bad stuff creep in. I don't say this a lot. But as your pastor, I must rebuke you for that kind of thinking. There is no excuse for your sin and its destructive results in your life you can put over on a good God. And for us to, with this kind of service with reservation, as if somehow God has been bad to us and tempted us to not love our, him or our faith as much, Jesus has been nothing but good and holy and true and there for you and me. And though he might test our faith and love for him, he never ever tempts us to sin or puts us in a situation where sin or not being able to trust or believe him is all we are left to do. Somewhere along the way, when the situation changed, or as James describes, when the seasons change and things variation and things went darker for us, and for some of us, we got real happy and the trial and test came, right? It was we who clutched and held on to the wrong hope and wrong dream, right? Or desire and made unfaithful, crazy choices, and we have been pulled away, drawn away from the light and joyous hope. But good news. Your God, while you varied and you went up and down in your faith, you were all cynical and pouting, like you got something to prove and show to God. 
Like God better get it better for you. The God of the Bible remained. He remained good. And as good was good for you. He was there and then and now and always was good. He had to be. There is no other choice. I mean, think about what James is really saying here about our sin and the desires. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. We might have to wear this one out too. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. This is then desire when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, to sin, excuse me. And sin, when it is fully grown up, brings forth death. The Bible's saying that sinful desires and sinful actions lead to sin judgment. That's death, which is contrasted, rightly so, with the crown of life in verse 12, right? Love for God equals what? Crown of life. Showing love for sin, a.k.a. the word desire, equals what? Death. Crown of life equals eternal life, right? Death equals eternal damnation. Oh, no, Pastor Brown, don't go be one of them pastors. I don't really want to be. But the word says it. Death. Death. Contract is with eternal life. Crown with the crown of life. Sin equals death. Spiritual death. And this should start to sound similar to the Apostle Paul. Right, you know, remember we had this discussion about maybe James shouldn't be in the canon, right, of the, old, of the New Testament because he's not like Paul enough. Think about this. He is saying exactly what the Apostle Paul says for those who are familiar with Romans and know your little verses, especially from your campus ministries. That all have sinned. That's what Paul said, right? That's what the Bible says. And gone after desires. And who also said what? That the wages or the end of that sin is Death. But Paul also said this. What's the rest of it? But the gift of God is eternal life. Now look again how James says it. Then desire when it's conceived, verse 15, gives birth to sin. And sin when it fully fully grown gives forth death. But look what he says in verse 16. But don't be deceived, my beloved. That's loved by God, brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or change due to change, right? No variation or change due to shadow, excuse me, due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So while you and I, in and on our own, could only give birth to and produce faithlessness, God alone on his own could and did produce faithfulness and life in those who believe in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm being a little teachy today. But hang in there. It's important. James is declaring That this is the gospel good news because in the trial and tribulations, it is the Lord, right? Who is and was good to redeem us 
to rescue us from our faithlessness and death production and produce and preserve us as a faithful people. Verse 18, when it talks about the first fruits and then the word of truth being brought forth, it should bring up images of God's creation where he made the earth with his words. Or God as this brilliant, miracle-working, genetic engineering farmer, right? James is saying that God, through the gospel, changed us. He made us a new creation, a new people, a people who no longer are headed to or producers of death, but life, eternal life. And that those people that he produces, crazy enough, will be like their God, preserved and who don't change in their standing as God's people, right? Faith-filled, faithful, faithful people, not because they are faithful in and of themselves, but because God has done some divine spiritual genetic engineering. How do you get a faithless people to be faithful? How does and did God produce and preserve and then expect Faithful, crown of life, rewarded people out of regular people like you and me. How? James tells us he chose to give us a gift. A good gift, as James puts it. His gift. The unearnable, undeservable gift. The gift of relationship with him. The gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Especially if you're watching a sporting or live music event, musical event. Sometimes, you know, what you can't help but recognize sometimes, some people are just gifted, man. And sometimes it just makes you sick. People who get up in front of the mic and say, practice? We talking about practice, man? And you're like, yeah. Let, he's a fool. He ain't going to go to practice. He's going to mess up. Next night, 40 points, right? Some folk just gifted. Michael Jordan with the flu goes out, 40 points. <laughs> I watched the James Brown and Jimi Hendrix stories on pay-per-view while I laid, was laid up with the flu. Jimi Hendrix music really helped, especially with all that medicine. I was feeling it. I finally got the experience. (laughs) And man, some of the stuff in their private and personal lives of those dudes were messed up. But they were fruitful and produced and their music lasts because their giftedness lasts, right? People excuse them because of their giftedness. For full crazy stuff. And they had something musically that could not have been earned or even expected from the mess they made. And even the bad character they exhibited according to the documentary. They produced powerful music and changed people's lives for the good. And it survived and carried them their gifts. And it's the same for you and me. This grace is going to be hard For you to hear. Let me warn you. But it's the same for you and me. 
when we think about where we came from and the heart that we sometimes operate out of and some of the crazy and utterly self-centered and sinful decisions we've made and others have made about us that have dragged us away from the truth. truth. Yes, even when we look at the days and years we turned our lives on God because we blamed him for not being faithful enough. You know why you are still counted among the faithful? Because you have God's gift at work in you and the gift of God's love is carrying you home and out of your mess and giving you and providing you all you need to keep going for him. I can say with sureness and clarity, God's people, if you are God's people, you are by far not the most talented, not the smartest or even nicest people that would be great if it were so. But I can say without a matter of doubt, according to what James is saying, you are the most gifted people the world and you could ever know. Because if you are a believer, even a halfway good believer, God has given you the gift of eternal life. Don't take God's powerful, loving gift for granted. Because having the gift of his eternal grace and love changes everything. And you can expect that it should change you. One thing in church planting, we, we talk about people, in, you know, when, when you're a church planting assessor, and you kind of look into these young people who want to plant churches, and they come in, and they're just incredible. Man, I see some, some young bucks who can preach so good. I wanted to give my life to Jesus again. (laughs) How are you going to start your church? What are you going to do? I'm ministering to these people. Let me tell you the vision God gave me. I'm like, good Lord. These young people are amazing. I need to sit down. Gifted. But you know, we always come back to the room. We all come back to the room laughing. And almost crying too. Like sad for the gifted person. Because we know gifted does not equal character. God's gift, not so. God's gift is promising to produce through you character. It is a gift unlike any other you didn't get it but it's going to get you and it's going to change you it's going to give you a new and growing character a new and growing love for God a new life a new and growing desires not for your desires but the opposite a desire or love for God to please God which gives birth to obedience to God and a new acting and behaving you which in turn gives birth to life and reward of God at work in you and me This is an incredible gift that regardless of the season or situation we're going through for our God in our life, it is always a season of life and growth and light and love. And because of the gift of his love, the relationship with him through Christ never leading to death forsaking or faithfulness because he's a perfectly good God 
to you and me. We sang this song today, but after hearing that sermon, I want y'all to hear again. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. Thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter, and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. He is a perfectly good God to you. He rewards the faithful. He remains the same in our bad times. And he redeems us from faithlessness. He's a good God.